0: Good morning, Soma Church. We are so happy that you've chosen to join us this morning. My name is Robin. This is my amazing husband, Christian, and we're really excited to teach today from the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Specifically, we're going to focus on verses 1 through 10.
1: So before we go into the text and read this passage, we want to give you a little bit of context. Paul is writing this letter to the church that he planted, and candidly, there's just a little bit of feedback and correction that he offers up to the Corinthian church. But in this, in this section, he aims to bring an eternal perspective and attitude that will please our Savior. So our hope for Soma Midtown is that we would paint a picture of a faith-filled view of this life in comparison to the eternal, which allows us to have good courage as we live radically for Jesus and the cause of the gospel. We live our lives with the goal to please him through placing our faith in him and our hope in his steadfast love.
0: Join me in reading the scripture from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1-10. through For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil." This Bible passage has tremendous significance for Christian and I. It was about 17 years ago that we were looking to purchase uh, a new old home. It was this home up on a hill, tons of character, but needed a lot of love. And I remember that when we entered the home to take a tour, The couple that owned the home were present, and they shared with us uh, the story of their life. They had been missionaries most of their lives, and this particular home was their home base when they would come off of the field. And we were walking through their dining room, and they had on the wall a needlepoint framed piece of artwork with 2 Corinthians 5-9 embroidered. So it said, we make it our goal to please him. It was completely beautiful, and we talked about it for a while. We wound up purchasing that home. And at the closing, that couple presented us with that wall hanging. And it was really fascinating to think about is is to this day, I am convinced that the reason God led us to that house was to lead us to that verse and to that specific Bible passage, the one we're talking about today. We did not even live in that house for a complete year. Instead, God rocked our worlds using this passage to mold and shape our view of how we should live. And it was in this passage that we found the courage to say yes to God and the call that he was placing on our life to go to the mission field. It was, it was here in this passage, really, that we found the strength to join God where he is working. And that is our prayer for you as well today. Look for a moment with me at how Paul starts, verse one. He begins by saying, we know, which means we can be certain. We know that when our earthly tent, the weak bodies that we now have, they die. And then we will have a resurrection body. Three times in these verses, Paul refers to our present body as a tent. Not a castle, not a fortress, but a tent. And tents are great for camping, but not really effective in harsh and severe weather. This might distress some of you who are avid campers at Soma, but I didn't grow up camping. And when Christian and I got married, we became involved with a young marrieds group. We had all kinds of um, really amazing friends who loved to camp. And so we would go along with them camping for the day and then we'd return home, much to Christian's dismay, at night to sleep in our beds. And it took Christian a few years to convince me that we should actually try camping. And I remember we had good friends who had a big, a big hilly backyard, and so we decided that we would camp out in their backyard one weekend night. At this time, my, my oldest, Maddie, was about two and a half. Our next oldest, Joshua, was probably eight months old. And so picture this, we're in a tent with a pack and play, putting the baby in the pack and play. We have our two and a half year old who wants her 14 stuffed animals in her blanket. And um, after a really fun night outside, we lay down to go to sleep. And I do remember thinking that it was a sweet time. It really was sweet. Until in the middle of the night, there was a massive, massive thunderstorm. And I remember waking up and we were, we were essentially floating as the tent was filling with water. And we quickly tried to grab the baby and the pack and play and Maddie and all her stuffed animals and run back to the house. Listen, our bodies are, are pretty good tents. They're pretty good tents. They last maybe, if we're, if we're really blessed with good health, a hundred years, but most of them expire before that. They completely break down. This point was driven home for me when I watched my mom um, pass away way too young at the age of 59 from cancer. And then just a few years ago, as I watched my dad um, lay on his deathbed, he was plagued with um, Parkinson's and dementia, and I was there when he took his last breath. And in that moment, this scripture came to life. Our earthly bodies are like tents. But our resurrection bodies are called buildings from God, a house that is eternal in the heavens. In other words, our resurrection bodies are everlasting. Nothing will shake or destroy the bodies that we receive. In this passage, Paul is um, giving us several contrasts between the present and our future bodies. And he says, our our bodies now are earthly in verse 1, which is another way of saying they're mortal, right? They're dying. They're like tents that are wearing out. Our future bodies are heavenly, and we will be clothed, in verse 2 he says, with our bodies from heaven. And then Paul says in verse 4, and I love this, what is mortal is swallowed up by life. So our heavenly bodies will never die, never get sick, never grow old. But while here, mortal, we know that our tents can be harmed, damaged, destroyed. We're frail and temporary, and here's the truth for us as followers of Jesus Christ. Living for the cause of Christ and the advancement of the gospel often requires the acknowledgement and the acceptance that our tents, our earthly bodies, may be damaged and destroyed because of that pursuit. But what gives us great confidence, great courage to live radically for the cause of Christ is the promise that we have in our heavenly buildings.
1: So let's look at verse 2. Paul says, For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Today we just don't talk that way. So what is this saying? What does this mean? I don't think it's the kind of groaning that Robin talked about as we were being flooded in the tent that evening. No, this kind of groaning mentioned is a holy discontentment, it's a childlike can't wait for Christmas morning to open your gifts kind of waiting. It's like the first time that you couldn't wait to move into your new place. This kind of groaning is a cry of frustration, but with an earnest desire for a better life in heaven that will never perish and be filled with joy. So as believers, we groan. We earnestly desire to be clothed in heaven, to be in our eternal house, which is made by God. Jesus says, I go and prepare a place for you, the where I am you also may be. Especially during these uncertain times that is such an incredible truth to hang on to. Just look at the sorrows of life as we pass through this pandemic together, not just in this country but world but globally. If you've ever uttered because life was so overwhelming, Lord Jesus, come now, then you understand what groaning means. As Christians, this is intensified because we know what's on the other side of death. There are so many great examples of followers of Jesus who understood what this meant, who understood what this word picture that Paul writes about in 2 Corinthians, this idea of the tent, means. They lived with confidence, knowing that they had a building, a home, not made by human hands, but made by God waiting for them. And this truth drove the way they lived in radical ways. And that radical living illuminated the truth of God's word.
0: I read this week in a blog post by Ann Voskamp, who's a popular author, about a group of believers called the Gamblers. They lived about 250 years after Christ, during the height of the plagues, and here's what she wrote about them. When the dead were heaped in the streets, the gamblers risked their very lives to bring food to the sick, nurse the weak, bury the dead. In the midst of a pandemic, there were Christians who called themselves the gamblers, who gambled all of their lives away on the way Jesus lived, who risked their literal lives so that Christ's love could literally win. What if Christians in the midst of this pandemic gambled everything on living Jesus' way, finding creative ways to still wash feet, still reach out hands, still meet needs because Jesus met ours? I love that she wrote that, and I really believe that the only way to live in this manner is to have an understanding and faith in the promise of eternal life and in our heavenly homes.
1: The stories of radical living like the gamblers have been chronicled all the way through church history. Uh, one of our favorite stories is about a missionary named Jim Elliott in the 1950s. In the 1950s, Jim Elliot and a group of friends moved to Ecuador to bring Christ and the good news to the tribes and the Indians and the natives of Ecuador. And in 1956, after a couple of missions and, uh, in an airplane to try to find where they could land in the Amazon basin in Ecuador, they found a place to, to land close enough to a tribe that had never heard about Jesus. These friends were full of life, zealous to bring the tribe to Christ. But they were instead speared to death by the very people they were trying to evangelize. There's a great documentary called Beyond the Gates of Splendor. And I remember watching this with our family a few years ago and being deeply impacted by a key decision that this missionary team made going into the journey and the eventual outcome of their obedience. You see, this team of missionaries had guns but decided not to use them to harm anyone but to fire them in the air just in case to frighten any attackers should that happen. This was a decision why would this be? To me, it's crazy to think about, but the reason is simple and amazingly Christ-like. The natives were not ready for heaven, but the missionaries were. They understood that this life is the tent that Paul wrote about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and that as a Christ follower, they had a building made by God waiting for them should they pass from this life to the next. Let's let that sink in for a second. They made a decision based on the fact that our life here is temporary, a temporary tent, and they were living for their heavenly home. Today, we'd call that a win-win situation, the kind of bold Christ-like faith that it takes to live in a situation like that. And second, I remember being impacted by the outcome of of, of the eventual uh, transformation and bringing this tribe to Christ. You see, it was Elizabeth Elliot. Elizabeth Elliot was Jim Elliot's wife. And they didn't decide to just pack up their bags and their belongings and their families and go back to the United States. And who would have blamed them? That would have been a natural outcome. But they decided to stay. They decided to stay and bring the good news to this tri- to this tribe, this tribe that took the, the lives of their, of, of their husbands and of their fathers. And this is a dangerous decision in and of itself to stay there and to bring Christ to this, to this tribe. This is, to me, an amazing missionary story that's less about being an evangelist or being a hero. It's, it's about having the fact of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 fully in your heart, fully in your mind, that we live in a temporary tent.
0: These stories of faithfulness and courage in God's children are not only found in the distant past. One of our members here at SOMA, Hannah Welch, found herself faced with a faith-defining situation when she answered God's call to serve as a missionary in Nicaragua just a few years ago. Hannah is a part of our missional community, and it was a privilege for us to walk alongside Hannah as she prepared to leave her life here in Indiana and move to Nicaragua. She was set to arrive in Nicaragua in June of 2018, and just a few months before she left, there was a massive civil uprising in the country where the citizens were protesting some of the decisions that the government was making, and schools were closed, streets were barricaded, uh, normal missionary trips that Hannah would have been assisting with were completely canceled, and the situation was really dire and dangerous. And still, Hannah chose to go and to serve. A nurse by trade, Hannah used this time in Nicaragua to do home health visits, to bring food and medication to the Nicaraguans, and really to serve in any way that, sh- that, that was needed. I remember during this time receiving messages from Hannah, and, and those were hard, lonely, scary sometimes, exhausting times. And yet, Hannah was faithfully present. Why? Because Hannah gets the truth of the Second Corinthians passage. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens.
1: Hmm. Living like Hannah did in Nicaragua doesn't mean that emotions are thrown out, causing us never to need encouragement. We see in the Bible, uh, there are plenty of people like Abraham, David, um, Joshua, and even Mary Magdalene in the New Testament that all needed reminded of confidence and courage. And in verses six through nine of this chapter, Paul shares an encouragement for us as Christians. He wants us to be courageous. He wants us to be confident. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. The main truth here is stated twice in verses 6 and 8. We are of good courage. We are confident. Right now, we are at home in the body. And being at home in the body obviously means that we're not home in heaven with Jesus. But when we are at home with the Lord, then we are really at home. Paul is vulnerable here as well, and he's completely transparent with his hopes and his dreams. We see in verse 8, he would rather be at home with the Lord in eternity than to continue through the suffering and the pain in this life. Paul's life on earth in ministry was pretty tough. Most of the letters that we read in the New Testament were written by him from a jail cell. He was often ridiculed, which is one of the reasons he wrote this particular letter to the Corinthians. He was beaten multiple times for his faith, but he simply believes the gospel and understands how much better heavenly life will be than this temporary one in these temporary bodies that that gives him confidence. This gives him courage, causing Paul to be resolute, to be faithful all the way to the end. He sees an opportunity sharing here in this temporary tent, this earthly life. His mission that was given to him by God continued all the way up until the day he died, the day that he was taken home by a martyr's death. As believers, we recognize that we too are sojourners and strangers. We long for heaven on earth as the Lord's Prayer states. There's so many things that cause us to long and groan for heaven. Hard things in this life can often feel so unbearable, like this pandemic that we're living through. But Paul reminds us where our home is, and he seeks to encourage us encourage us to be confident about our future. So let's bring this truth to our mindset now. For those of you who, who own uh, both a tent and live in a house, imagine getting more upset that your favorite camping tent somehow gets ruined than a natural disaster, for instance, wiping out your home. How ridiculous would that be that you would love your tent that much? You know, it's so easy, though, to get our eyes locked on the present reality of our tents, to treat them like they are the most important dwelling when they're not. And we have a real enemy as well who is constantly seeking to lie to us so that we chase after the things on earth that really have no eternal significance.
0: During this time of shelter in place, Christian and I have been auditing a free class offered by Yale University called The Science of Well-Being. We're still in the initial weeks of this class, but we are really enjoying listening to Professor Lori Santos lay the groundwork through revealing misconceptions about happiness, about well-being. And what I love is that there are all of these scientific studies about the things that we think will make us really happy that actually do not. There are things that most of us are chasing. A, a high-paying job, good grades, true love, the latest insert, insert whatever it is into the blank. And the list goes on and on. These are tent things. And what she teaches is that we can deceive even ourselves to believe that those things of this world are what will really fulfill us. But when science uh, steps in and when there are experiments done and surveys conducted, the truth is those things leave us completely empty. I really believe that the enemy seeks to destroy us through getting us to live by sight and not by faith. We can hold on to the things of this life so tightly, and we can be deceived in our own minds to think that we should pursue these things that will make us happy that actually don't. Many of us have stories over the past month of the ways that COVID has taught us to live by faith and not by sight. About how when the things of this world that we tend to chase after are stripped away, God becomes clear. I was talking with my friend Michael, one of our members here at SOMA the other day about the way that COVID has impacted his life. His reflections impacted me deeply and so I asked him if he would um, capture them for me and then I asked permission to share them with you. He said yes. So this is what he wrote. He said, my job is something I love. For me, it is perfect. I get to be behind the lens at some of the greatest college and professional sporting events across the globe. But besides that excitement, my job did two important things in my life. It was how I provided for my family. As a husband and father, this is something that we strive for. And the other, it was my creative outlet. It is my art form. And with sports, there's no second chance. You are live to the world, showing art in real time, and it's an incredible feeling, really the perfect job. But last month, while at the men's Big Ten tournament, the coronavirus took all of that away. My job that provides for my family, gone. My creative outlet, gone. Sports, gone. With no one knowing when any of it will come back again. But there is something bigger in my life and that's God and God's got this he's going to provide he's going to give us our daily bread he's given me the opportunity to grow in fellowship with other Christians he's given me the opportunity to spend more time with my children he's given me the opportunity to watch my wife's creative outlet grow and thrive he's given me time to sit in his word He's given me more time to pray and wrestle with my faith. He has given. This is such a powerful testimony to me because Michael has every reason to be bitter, discouraged, and angry. And instead, he has chosen to lock his eyes on the eternal and he overflows with gratitude.
1: Finally, Paul encourages us to please the Lord in everything, because our future home is the ultimate reality, and we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. This truth is clearly taught in verses 9 and 10. Let's read. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or or evil. Paul boils his goal, his aim, his intention down to one single thing. He wants us to please Christ. And it doesn't matter if it's in this earthly difficult life or at home with Christ in a glorious eternity. He simply wants us to please Christ. His desire impacts how he lives, what he says, and everything that he does in his life. Paul's banner of life was to simply please his Savior. A few years ago, I remember being challenged by a missionary earlier in my life, and they boldly asked me this question, don't you want to make it your goal to please God? It was a simple yes or no question. And I remember pondering that as I dug into some of the other letters that, that Paul wrote. He writes in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, We are to do it for the glory of God. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. There is no greater cause than giving yourself to our great God and Savior. So we have two questions for you to consider. Has the stress or the busyness or the trappings of life caused you to lose sight of the truth of the eternal life God promised his children, and what are you living for right now? We conclude this portion of the scripture in verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. This phrase, we must all appear before the judgment seat, is not only a term of salvation, but it's also in respect to eternal rewards for deeds performed here on earth. When Paul was in Corinth, he was brought before the judgment seat by the Jews who opposed him. In Romans, Paul used the judgment seat of God to show that believers should not judge each other. Paul was very familiar with this idea of a judgment seat. And here in Corinthians, he uses it to encourage the Corinth church, and the believers there to live lives that are acceptable and pleasing to God. We will sit in front of the judgment seat of Christ. He will judge our deeds. He will judge whether we, are, we, whether we pleased him during this time of social distancing. Did we live for Christ or ourselves? Did we pour out our time, our resources, and love as Christ did during these dark times? Or wall ourselves off due to selfishness, pride, or fear? What is our heart's posture during these seemingly dark days? One of my favorite books is by an author and a pastor named John Piper, and he wrote several books, and a couple of my favorites that he wrote were were Don't Waste Your Life and a subsequent subsequent book uh, based off of his health battle called Don't Waste Your Cancer. And I've been personally challenged by these books and have been encouraging myself and my family in light of this current pandemic. My goal is to attempt to daily remind myself and my family and others, especially during these times, to not waste this time in shelter in place, this slower pace, this unique stage during these times, but instead to use it to make much of Christ. Let's run with endurance the race set out before us.
0: In the book, Don't Waste Your Life by John Piper, he talks about a quote that was hanging in his childhood home on a plaque. And we really loved that quote when we read the book, and so we recreated it and hung it in our kitchen. It's a little cheesy and a little rhymey, but it still hits me and steers me every day. It says, there's only one life, it will soon be passed, only what's done for Jesus will last. I have been inspired by the way that people within our church body have been living this boldly as they have sought to be the hands and feet of Christ during COVID. Dear friends of ours, Nolan and Casey Duffy are um, both uh, employed by a high school that's just down the road from here. And a few weeks ago, they heard of one of their students who was living in an apartment without a refrigerator, without furniture, the family was struggling to find food, and so Casey and Nolan uh, jumped right away to help this family out, delivering all of the things that they needed, furniture, refrigerator, food, and also discovered that it was the student's birthday that week, and so they went out of their way to be sure that that student was celebrated and valued and honored. It was beautiful. I think about Shelby and Alec Mandela, an amazing couple who said yes when they were asked to provide respite for a refugee child during COVID. So realize this means the child's not going to school, you're not going to the park or to Chick-fil-A, there aren't things to help the time pass, but you're saying yes to welcoming a child with a language barrier into your home for 24 hours a day of being together. And I'm so grateful that they did. There are MCs within our church who are providing meals every single week for people who are experiencing homelessness and are currently sheltered at Wheeler Mission. Some of the elders of our church have decided to donate their full economic stimulus check to the care fund that we have here at SOMA so that that money can be used for those that are in need. We have SOMA members who are delivering cards and meals to healthcare workers. And we have a church filled with people who are working in the healthcare industry or first responders who are going above and beyond to serve and care for others. I think about my friend Molly Schofield who's a physical therapist and God has stirred her heart to want to care not just for the physical bodies of her patients but also for their emotional and mental state and so she's volunteered to work alongside their facilities chaplain in providing resources for patients that release hope into their lives. And I can go on and on, and these examples of people living boldly for the cause of Christ embolden me, and they remind us of this teaching in 2 Corinthians 5. So here's the challenge. Today, give your life to the Lord, whether that's for the first time or as a recommitment. Author and Pastor David Platt once spoke about um, giving, imagining that he was giving his life to Jesus like a blank check and then allowing Jesus to spend his life as he saw fit. I love that imagery. Let us trust Jesus to spend our lives. Secondly, let's make it our aim, our ambition, our goal in life to please Jesus, to honor him, to glorify him. Let us be God-centered, instead of man-centered? And finally, let us purpose together to not waste this time of COVID, but instead to use it to make much of Christ. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, what a joy to know that a day is coming when all that is mortal will be swallowed up by life. And we will stand in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the truth that we will one day be clothed in a new, resurrected body, like Christ's own glorified body. Thank you that we're not under condemnation because we have trusted Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And and we praise you that the suffering and the groaning of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. We praise you for your goodness and your grace. We pray all of this in the holy and precious name of Jesus, our Lord and our God. Amen.